going to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Park. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and all those in between. And so it begins another week of radio. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour alongside me. As usual on Mondays, we have Troy. How you doing? I'm all right. How are you? I'm okay. You seem a little down, though. seem a little... I'm in a lot of pain today. I'm sorry, man. My leg... It hurts like it did when the disc was out. Mm. I'm like, I listened to Death from Above 1979 on the way here, mm-hmm. and I got amped up. But then I stepped out of the car, oh. and it was raining, and all of that disappeared. <sighs> so it was that from that sitting position to the standing. It's oh like, no, it's been like that all day. Yeah, but I was like, I'm gonna amp myself up, and so I put on Death from Above 1979. I don't know if I know that one. It's a, it's a group of, it's a duo. It's two dudes. They started out with disco, and now they make rock music. Okay, cool. So kind of the opposite of Soul Wax, the duo that started out with... Rock music and... Kind of moved to disco. disco. Yeah. Electronic, yeah. You know, speaking of music, did you watch the Grammys? I did not, but I did watch a video of that Alicia Keys performance. I did not watch the Grammys, and I did not watch this Alicia Keys performance. You what sh- you should watch it. Why? Uh, there What's are... the sell it to me? Okay. One, Alicia Keys. Well, yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. Stunning voice. And she doesn't even wear makeup. Really? Yeah. She's on that whole new kick, like wow. all natural. She looked good. Black don't crack. I suppose so. I said it. It's true, ladies and gentlemen. And so she's there gorgeous. Is on her left a white grand piano. Mm. On her right, a black grand piano. Okay. She's in a stool, like one of those swivel stools. Oh, okay, yeah. In the middle. She starts playing, and she starts singing. It's like, God, this song sounds familiar. It's Kings of Leon. Yeah. She starts, like... You somebody? Yeah. Yeah, She starts covering all these different songs, and... As she's transitioning in, in the song, she starts talking about, like, man, I really wish I would have wrote that song. Yeah. And then it ends with uh, that song with uh, the Jay-Z song, the, in New York. Oh, right, right. Yeah, sorry. Concrete Jungle, Our Dreams Are Made Of. Yeah. Yeah, that one. I, I can't do it justice. But it's it's a really good performance. And okay. it's not, like, pre-recorded. It's all live, and you can tell it's live. But she her voice is just, oof. I saw a Loudwire report that Greta Van Fleet won Best New Rock Album of the Year or something like that. Who was their competition? I don't know. Green Day? Uh, Weezer? Yeah, but Weezer's new Teal album? It's covers. It's just covers. They're great. 
I love the album. They have the Black album coming out. I actually listened to the whole Teal album this morning. Yeah? Just getting ready for the day. It's great. I mean, it is just straight up covers, but... Their cover of Africa is awesome. Yeah, and uh, I mean, what? Take On Me? Their cover of Take On Me is fantastic. Happy Together by the Turtles is fantastic. Paranoid, they kill it. I mean... They have good good covers. Yeah, yeah, but if you're in the mood for paranoid, that's totally different than like if you want the Black Sabbath. Paranoid, oh well, if you listen to the we- you're going to be like, mm. see, but I listen to Weezer so I can have intelligible lyrics, <laughs> as opposed to Ozzy's sort of wailing, which is awesome stuff. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Weezer's good. And the only other thing I saw about the Grammys today because I just don't care. It's like, wait, I cannot watch the Grammys and still listen to music. And enjoy new music coming out? Yeah. Really? That's amazing. I don't have to watch the award show. Um, I think that's dying a slow death. It, and like you and I didn't watch, and the ratings are way down. Like, and they, that's a trend over the last several years. I think the whole model of your award show, maybe YouTube will pick it up, but I doubt it because YouTube's so diverse. Good luck trying to get people you, to look on I think YouTube has AVN. Okay, that might work. That's the porn award show. Oh, really? <laughs> well, that'll definitely work. I mean, it's I'm probably sure, not palatable. I'm sure Twitch will pick it up or something. Somebody will pick it up. YouTube has AVN. I didn't think they allowed porn. Well, it's not like there's porn at the award show. It's just awarding. Oh, it's just shown on YouTube. Scenes. Right. They don't right. show the scenes. They just mention them briefly. That's such a weird. Award shows are odd, anyhow. But like. We're going to give out awards for pornography. Yeah. It's like, how are we judging this? And, then, and I'm almost sitting here thinking, like, am I ignorant of the business? Is there a certain, like, what, is there a certain cinematography that's, like... Right. I mean, maybe it... I've, who knows? Know. I'm not a pornographer. I would just, like, I would basically just get the numbers from Pornhub. Well, who's got the uh, most following? Yeah. Which is our cons- like greatest growth of followers, things like that. Well, and consistently, folks, I'm you know all sorts of people deny ever. I don't. Know, I used to watch porn. I don't watch it anymore. Okay. But every month they come out with the top ten websites, and usually three or four of them are porn sites, like streaming porn sites. So that's obviously a thing. One of my favorite followers on Twitter is uh, this person that does Pornhub analytics. Okay. And so, basically, like every year, one of my favorite ones is when they do the Super Bowl. Whatever team is losing, traffic from that location to Pornhub skyrockets. <laughs> it's hilarious. That happened during the government shutdown. Uh, traffic to Pornhub from the D.C. area at an unusual time of day where people would normally be working skyrocketed. Yeah. Like, I don't have anything to do. I'm furloughed. <laughs> I, I'm going to make myself happy, I suppose. And then really sad. <laughs> it's a big, big buildup, and now I'm sad again. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I think the whole award show model is just kind of defunct. Like, it, Yeah. It, I mean, I don't think the, the red carpet model will ever die because no. it it literally keeps the fashion industry alive. <laughs> um, it's a good showcase. Like a guest I had, um, I, you should listen to the show I did last Thursday. A guy named Matthew Tabor. He's one of the dudes I met over at that conference I went to last summer. Yeah. He is a producer writer for Vsauce 2. Okay. 
along with his good friend who's on camera, Kevin Lieber. And if you listen to their podcast, The Creed Unknown, Kevin has been invited, and Matt along with them, uh, to like YouTube's award show or like best of the year. It's essentially a gala to show off to all of YouTube's big corporate sponsors. This is what we got going on. So you might get like your PewDiePie probably isn't invited, even though he has a huge following, just given given how he is. But you'll get some like homemade YouTubers that have hit it big and they'll do a little presentation. They'll do something silly, some comedy bit or a science talk. And then Katy Perry will come out and do a performance. But it's sort of like a red carpet YouTube thing. Mm -hmm. So I think your point stands that it'll uh, continue with new media. I just mean... What in that, what's going on right now? It's happening in entertainment. It's happening in politics. It's happening in, on all sorts of fronts. Is the old way of doing things, is it gone? Still strong? I'm sure the Grammy still got millions of people last night. Yeah. But it's not as strong, and there's a sense of things are changing. It's not holding up like we want. There's not growth. And it, everybody's, I think, a little nervous about, well, what's going to come next? Because here's, it, and I got watching, this is what I used YouTube for this weekend. I mean, I did watch a whole season of 24. That's That was my Sunday. Watching. That's on YouTube, 24? No, that's on Hulu. Oh, okay. But I used YouTube while I'd waited for Jonathan to watch 24 and binge watch it. But on YouTube, I got a little nerdy. I got a little wonkish. I watched an ongoing series of debates slash discussions between a psychologist and Professor Jordan Peterson, who's now his... 12 Rules for Life book is an immense bestseller. Because all sorts of, for some reason, people, even if you disagree with the guy, disagree with them on an intelligent basis, which is what Sam Harris is doing in these discussions. For some reason, reporters and all sorts of people just, they see that guy and their fury comes out and they ascribe things to him that just he doesn't, he's never said. And I've watched a lot of his stuff. That happens with a lot of people. Yeah. And it's, I don't know why that is. It's a lot of gotcha journalism, or it fits the narrative, the preconceived narrative, or whatever. Yeah. Or like today, this kind of stuck in my craw. Uh, it was in Terry Sewell, Democratic representative here, part of her district in Montgomery. And she shared an article from NBC News that tax return amounts are down 8.4%. And then the report, as I kept reading it, was just a bunch of people on Twitter complaining about it, saying GOP tax scam and Trump's a con artist and how is my tax return down and all this stuff. And I read through the whole thing and that's all it was. They're down and and I, I thought I was going to get more on my tax return and Trump's to blame. And I'm like, that doesn't. Because I know my own tax situation. So I was like, that doesn't seem right. So I just did a little bit of a Google search, and my what I suspected was confirmed. USA Today responsibly, at least at the bottom of the article, said the reason for this, this lower figure, number one, not many, not the majority of people have filed yet. It's not even been processed. But just taking the people who have filed and they're already getting back their returns, the Treasury Department changed allowance rules, how much is withheld. And they did it in a way to withhold only the amount that'll match your liability. So we're not going to take more out of your paycheck bi-weekly, monthly, than we think you'll actually owe at the end of the year, which means returns will go down. Right. But people in the NBC report were like, oh, they're taxing us more. No, 
No, they're not. Now, there might be an exception. You make a certain amount of money in, say, a state like New York or California. You might be paying more because they got rid of that state and local deduction. But generally, it's, the, it's more that article from NBC where it didn't do any work at all to explain why tax refunds and returns are down some. And it's like, yeah, how it's, irresponsible is that? You see that a lot nowadays. Not necessarily the irresponsibility, but the Twitter aggregator. Yes. They just aggregate tweets, put them in one area, and they're like, this is what these people had to say. If you were to be responsible about it, you would say, this is what these people had to say. And then at the bottom, you would say, here's the article that explains why tax returns are down. Right. But and they don't do that. So this continually has happened to Jordan Peterson, which has actually made his star rise more. Like, there's a famous interview he did. It was a quick-hit BBC interview with Kathy Newman. And she kept doing this thing of, so you're saying... So what you're saying is, and it was not what he was saying whatsoever. So you're saying women just aren't as good as men in the workplace. He's like, no. I'm saying on average, most women aren't assertive enough to get the raise they deserve. That's what I'm saying. You, Kathy, on the other end, have been. You're obviously pretty aggressive and you know what you're doing. And it was this interview that was just such a perfect example of somebody seeing what they wanted to see that it blew up. And it really played into Jordan Peters. No, don't get me wrong. This guy has said some stuff where he's probably he's thinking out loud. It's probably not correct. Or if I really thought about it, I disagree with him. But to see him, who's been kind of the the target of a lot of that junk, along with Sam Harris, who has been kind of thrown out of I think the left's camp because he's he's an atheist. He's a new atheist. He came up with like Hitchens and Dawkins and all these types. And so he's been thrown out of the camp because he'll call out radical Islam for what it is. And he also just, he doesn't like any religion, so he doesn't have a problem with saying, yeah, Islam's a problem. And there are certain groups that make it really a big problem. And so that, anytime you say something like that, there are some people on the left who are immediately going, hmm, you're probably Islamophobic. Which is like, no, I didn't say all Muslims. I didn't say all Muslims believe in a certain way. Anyway. To see those two guys not in a setting where it's going to be stupidity. It's going to be these two guys arguing over their most basic ideas, their life's work. For instance, Jordan Peterson wrote a book called Maps of Meaning, where he was trying to figure out where do we find deeper meaning in our lives that lead us to ethical, healthy choices that make our lives better for ourselves, for our families, and for our communities. And he thinks it's more found in not just scientific study and facts but also all the narratives and stories from the traditions we carry with us so he's pulling from Campbell yes yes he's very much comparing all the mythologies of the world all the great religions of the world and his point is that even if these things might not be literally true there's a reason they've been so effective there's a reason they've scaled so well whereas Sam Harris wrote a book called The Moral Landscape where he's trying to found and discover an ethics purely based on what he would call scientific fact or rationality. Like, you don't need any propositions removed from the objective world. And so they start getting in this pretty detailed argument. And Peterson's point initially to Harris, which I thought was a good one, he's like, the way you set up your book, you're already telling a story. That isn't necessarily derived from the facts. You say in your book, imagine 
the worst possible state where everybody is suffering and in this process of making other people suffer and nobody is happy. And they're in constant pain in whatever way. Imagine the pain you're feeling right now, you know, a million times more and other people like that and the worst possible world. And then imagine where everybody's flourishing and moving forward and blah, 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 blah. And Peterson goes, you've just set up a hell and heaven construct and you say that we should move away from hell towards heaven. Where'd you get that in the facts? (laughs) Yeah. And so it led to this fascinating discussion about how important, I think Harris finally came along to it, how important stories or things that aren't literally true drive us to do important things. And they can go, and that means getting the right stories or knowing what you're doing when you're telling a story correctly. Uh, is it actually being useful? Uh, is very important. It plays into a lot of what I talk about with politics. I think people in NBC wrote that article because it's like, oh, Trump's a scam artist. So people are pissed off on Twitter. So let's write up an article that doesn't actually explain facts. It just plays into what people are feeling, what they already think. Yeah. Blah blah blah. And the right does this. They do it with. They've done it with. I saw it with Barack Obama for years. There's a lot of sins to go around. He's been the product of many just patently false things said about him that everybody's like, yeah, it's totally true. Right. It's being, and I think they're starting to walk it back now. Some. But it's... But here's a, here's a good example of what I mean uh, that they used in that debate. And finally, Sam Harris came around and was like, I actually understand what you mean now by metaphorical truth. It's not literally true, but it's a very useful thing to believe and to act on in order to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. And for instance, any gun owners out there, have you ever used a gun or if you own one, you definitely should know this. You always act as if the gun is loaded. Yep. Obviously, the gun isn't always loaded. Safety could be on. Gun's still loaded. Right. But always act as if it's loaded. Yep. Because that leads you to be very careful with the gun, to double-check the gun, to not point... Even if the gun's not loaded, don't point the barrel at anything you don't want to shoot. Cognizant of trigger discipline. Yeah, and so what that leads to is less people getting shot accidentally. But it's not a literally true belief. It's right. just something we tell ourselves in order to orient our action in the world. And Peterson's like, that's my whole point. So take something that is as simple as always treating guns as loaded to, okay, how do we deal with like the framework of ethical behavior throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia that led us to this point. And, uh, and it's, a, I think, a good point to make because as systems break down, as people uh, are trying to scramble for new ways of doing things, and I think the fight really is in America at the political level. There's some things going on with religion too, but it's really at the political level. But changes in media changes in what people consume, how they can consume, how we can communicate to one another. It's very important to understand where those stories actually come from. If you're trying to create a new ethic out of whole cloth, new way of doing things out of whole cloth, you're probably going to miss some pretty important things that can propel us to where we are today. Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't get to where you are without Sounds so cliche, but standing on the shoulders of giants. Right. I mean, if if a culture is going to order its life in a certain way, a thousand years from now, that culture could be completely different or not even exist anymore. But 
those narratives and the myths used to sort of explain things are still used to this very day in a, a similar fashion. Like in, what was it, ancient, well, I won't say ancient Egypt because that... The How Egyptian, ancient is the, Egypt? <laughs> the Egyptian civilization lasted a long time. But let's just uh, say Ptolemy. Uh, you know, they, the Greeks and the Romans were sort of taking over mm-hmm. the Egyptians. They were influencing their culture. Two totally different polytheistic cultures. But they still lived on the Nile, the Egyptians. And there's crocodiles on the Nile. They're they're literally called Nile crocodiles. They called them Sobek's children. Sobek being the god of the Nile. Okay. Or goddess of the Nile. I'm not really sure what, what gender, gender yeah. <laughs> it was. Um, but calling something a crocodile, like by its name, for us, would instill fear. Because they're, they're rather fearful. Yeah, they'll eat you. Yeah. Now, I mean, I've, I've been like down in Ocala, Florida on a boat. In a swamp yeah. with alligators around. I've and seen them too, but it, I've had nightmares about those suckers. Like I remember you telling me about yeah. one specific nightmare involving your backyard. Reoccurring. for it, a while. I haven't had it in a while, but that one has been there since my childhood. But just imagine calling them children. The crocodiles. Sobek's children. Like, oh, hmm. it's, they're the children of a god. That makes you think of children... Children are harmless, mm-hmm. and they are, in some ways, holy. I don't right. think holy is the right word here. They're innocent. They, they, there's something about them that well, is if sacred. If they're related to a god. They're, they're sacred. They're, yeah, there's a, there's a sacredness there. So you're not going to mess with them. And in turn, that probably drove down crocodile deaths quite a bit. Right. Even though it's not scientifically, literally true... No. It, it still ends up having a, a good effect. Yeah, they're they're. I'm just going to say they're children of a river god. What? <laughs> right. And it, but it, for us nowadays, it's like, huh? But it works. Yeah. And it's kind of like the old uh, dietary guidelines, and like you find kosher or halal or whatever. They're they didn't know the germ theory of disease, but they figured out like, okay, this is probably that you're, person got sick after eating shellfish. Yeah. There are certain things that are safer. Right. And this is what I mean by. We can't throw out, like, even if a tradition on its face seems absurd, or it's like, it's not giving me what I want today. Mm-hmm. It's like, how, because this is what Peterson kept telling Harris. If your whole goal is well-being, moving away from a hellish state to a heavenly state, from suffering to no, not just no more suffering, but, like, fulfillment, we are really, it's a lot easier for us human beings to point out what we don't want than what we do want. Like, for instance, most of us, I think hopefully all of us can agree, we don't want Dachau and Auschwitz. We don't want systematic genocide. The no death marches. Yeah, and you don't want to be the one suffering that. You don't want to be the one administering that. It's like, and in fact, you're more evil if you're the one inflicting the suffering. It's just not good all around. Yeah. But if I said to you, Troy, we've got a few options this weekend. We can either go to a... A wrestling pay-per-view. We can go see a baseball game. We can go kayaking on the Kusa. Like, what's the right answer? I mean, there might be, given our personal taste, like, what should we do? Now that we've got enough wealth, we are pretty happy, like, what should we do with our happiness and our free time? And there's not really a right answer to that. I tell you what my first thought wasn't. 
some light genocide. <laughs> that wasn't my first thought. <laughs> right, exactly. Of those choices, I would say let's let's go down the Kusa. Oh, and by the way, I can't leave this alone now. I got to pull it up. Did you see? I'm sure you did. You hear about the Trump tweet? Elizabeth Warren formally announced she's running for president. Good for her, I guess. Yeah. Uh, she formally announced, and this is why 2020 and 2019 is going to be so much fun. Because most presidents, sitting presidents, their the general lodges don't punch down because that elevates the person you're punching. Because you're the president. Right. We have uh, Donald Trump. Yeah. He made, that, he made that sort of, they called it a genocide joke, right? Yeah. Let me pull up where the genocide part of it actually came from actually came from a guy... Oh, my God, I can't spell tonight. Genocide. Whatever, Google fix it. (coughs) So, Trump, I want to give the proper context here, folks. Uh, Let's see what Trump wrote. Okay, this is what... After Elizabeth Warren announces for 2020. Don't forget the accent, please. I'll I'll throw it in. Oh, God. Today, Elizabeth Warren, sometimes referred to me as Pocahontas, referred to by me as Pocahontas, joined the race for president. Will she run as our first Native American presidential candidate? Or has she decided that after 32 years, this is not playing so well anymore? See you on the campaign trail, Liz. He put trail in all caps. Oh, my goodness gracious. And so by and this is <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing. But it is fun. That's See, I, this is why I wanted to bring this up to you because like am I a bad person? No. I started laughing when I read that. And by capping up the word trail, writes the UK Independent, Mr. Trump made an apparent reference to the removal of Native Americans from ancestral lands onto reservations during the eighteen hundreds, the Trail of Tears, ladies and gentlemen. That's when a guy named Michael Malice because everybody reacted to Trump saying that the usual, oh my God, how can you joke about the Trail of Tears? It's one of the horrible things in our country's history. Blah, 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 blah. And so seeing that reaction, that's when provocateur Michael Malice jumped in. And he loves Twitter. He, he's the type that will say outrageous things. And then when people get upset, he'll retweet them being upset going, yeah. I just love this. Classic. It's just classic crap posting. Like he, and he's good at it, and he's freaking brilliant too. Like he has actually been to North Korea. That's what his real passion is. He grew up in Soviet Russia. North Koreans? No, he grew up in Soviet Russia, and his family luckily immigrated because there's no passion to the states. And so he sees that Stalinism of his youth in North Korea. Right. And it's and he he'll make jokes about anything, but North Korea. It just hits him really hard because he he's visited there. He's seen what the faces of these children that he's met with. Like he he sees himself being in Soviet Russia. So he's okay. he's can be very passionate about certain ideas. He's very well spoken, but he also loves just trolling and saying the most outrageous things. So in reaction uh, of Trump saying, "See you on the trail," Liz. Is people like you're a racist? Blah blah blah. You're insensitive. How callous? Michael Malice writes. The Native American genocide continues with another murder by the president. (laughs) That's good. 
And it's just, it points out the absurdity of people's just why, reaction. Why don't, uh, so have you read any of the, the people defending Trump's statement? No. Brett Hume was like, he hasn't shown that he is educated in like 19th century tribal Americans. And so the resp- so you're saying he's dumb, Brett? Here's, here's the best response to reading that tweet. He's mean. Yeah, he's making a joke about Elizabeth Warren being a fake Native American. He's, I mean, yes, he's doing that. Trump's mean. Yeah. He's an a-hole. Like, that's what I, I try to tell people me. that. It's like, if somebody's in a war, like, we're not arguing charitably. We're not trying to figure something out, like Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris. No, we don't like each other, and we're trying to win and score points by saying mean things to one another. And somebody says something insulting, and they're like, oh, my God, that's offensive and insulting. It's like, yeah, that's what I was trying to do. Yeah. It's like, come on, man. Oh, and then people piled on, because after... Malice said the president, you know, added to more genocide with another murder of a Native American. Uh, Don Jr. retweeted that and said, I love my president, Savage. Did he miss? That's an awful play on words. Yeah, it's an awful pun. <laughs> and then people are coming at Malice, like, would you make jokes about other genocides like the Holocaust? He's like, yeah, yeah I'm Jewish. I, I do those all the time. Yeah. So it's just like... Have you never played Cards Against Humanity? I don't know. Have you ever, like, been a person in 2019? Like, we all know the crazy jokes. Some like it more than others, but... I, I would rather be able to make that awful joke yeah. than to not. Right. And that's why I'm okay with it. Yeah. I will say, I don't think the President of the United States should be saying something like that from the office of the President, especially since the courts have ruled that any Trump tweet comes from the office of the President. Yeah. But this particular person that is the President, Donald J. Trump, (laughs) has proven time and time again, he doesn't care. He doesn't care what you think. He probably doesn't even care what he thinks. Right. He just will say things. And sometimes they're rude. Sometimes they're mean. Sometimes they're callous. Most of the time, they're hilarious. Well, and, and sometimes the rude, mean, callous things are hilarious. Yes, yeah, super funny. That and was a, I, I had not read the tweet. And now well, that you've read that to me, I think that's that tweet plays. That's yeah. a funny joke. Well, and, and here's the thing. He's baiting her. Because she's going to come back with, like, well, what she actually came back with, I'm not sure he's going to be a free man by 2020. She's not wrong. Yeah, well, I think he'll be still uh, in the world of the free. I don't think he'll be jailed by then, but uh, we'll see. Just just literally everybody in his inner circle? Yeah, just Manafort and maybe Stone. Gates. Maybe, maybe Gates. I don't think Papadopoulos or uh, what's the other the, guy? The, the people that, that or plead Carter out Page. for their yeah, I, I think they'll be fine because they, what, they got him for lying to the FBI. Now Papadopoulos is fighting it. Well, that's what they got Stone on, too, and he's going to fight it. Good luck with that. He's screwed. Good luck with that. I've never heard a man of Stone's age. I saw a video of him calling the left libtards. Yes. Yeah, I I saw that headline earlier today. I'm like, aren't you like 70, dude? (laughs) What... What is that? You, you just sound petulant now. You yeah. sound just as petulant as they do. What are you yeah. saying? But he, I think Stone owns it. Yeah. Well, he was like he was like slamming back a shot of vodka or something. Right. This is what I like. If that's how you're going to be, please be that. I get so tired of 
Twitter's outraged. I'm so sorry. See, no, you're outraged. Get up now. It, being indicted by the special counsel is a well, little more than a Twitter mob. But I mean, at this point, it's not even the special counsel that I would really be worried about. If I were Trump, it would be SDNY. Oh, the Southern District of New York. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna. And also, these Democrats running these committees are like Adam Schiff. And others are going to be looking into trying to get his finances, trying to... I, I think they'll fight that because all, all presidents deal with this crap. The money laundering thing seems pretty shut and dry. Yeah. Well, we'll see. That that seems pretty shut and dry. Just launder the campaign money for the victory speech and oh, massively overcharge yeah. at yeah, your own hotels. Yeah, at the inauguration. Yeah, good luck with that. I wonder who was running that. Who's going to be the scapegoat there? Who's going to be the sacrifice It's going to get Rico'd is what's going to happen. But what, it's going to Rico all the way to the top. But one thing I, I was realizing in our discussion about this tweet, it's like this new found, like new agey mentality of never say anything. To be a good person, it means you always say nice things. And you always say diplomatic things and kind things. It's like, no, actually, sometimes saying callous and mean things is very effective i i disagree with you there i will say i agree that we and nowadays we police people's speech more hmm. i think that that's definitely a thing but going all the way back to like i don't know let's say from the 50 post-world war ii onwards yeah there was always sort of we'll call them unspoken gentlemen's agreements with how to act with somebody to their face right now, I'm sure if we had social media back then, it would be hilarious to hear the things that, like, drunk Richard Nixon would say. Or, but, I mean, and also reports of their people cheering in Texas after JFK's been shot. That actually happened. Nowadays, we would have video. Yeah, of people actually cheering that crap. So, I mean, it's not like the good old days were actually the good old days. We just don't have it documented in the same way. People can't react very quickly in the same way. My point is there's a reason callous, mean things are effective. Because yeah. they've proven effective for a long time. And it isn't always effective. You can go too far. But, uh, yeah. You know how Tom Brady and the Patriots always win? Yeah. And you know how, well, maybe you disagree with me on this, but he comes off across as obnoxious. I will say he's the greatest player of all time. The yeah. greatest football player of all time. I agree. There, it's undisputable in my opinion. Now. Yeah, he's but a champion. He, he comes across as obnoxious. He kisses his son on the mouth. I don't like him. You don't like somebody kisses their son on the mouth. I don't like Tom Brady. That no. is a little. I didn't know that. It's weird. Are you? Are you? You just don't like him, or I don't you, like Tom Brady. And that's. Are you thinking maybe it's because he's too much of a champion? I'm a Denver Broncos fan. Oh. The only team that has really been able to beat Tom Brady consistently is the Denver Broncos. It was a very Freudian dark side of mom moment right there. I'm sorry. Hmm? You're kicking me to commercial. I'll say this. I'm saying when he the, loses, the Broncos. The truth comes out. You're a Broncos fan. Yeah. When he loses, it brings me joy. Just like when Philip Rivers <laughs> loses, it brings me joy. There's I have always a feeling. A motivation. I have a feeling that when the left lost this previous election, it brought a lot of people joy. But the way that some folks are acting with their callousness on the right, mm -hmm. when they lose, oh, it might be bad. And well, no, and I actually predicted that. Right after Trump won, I predicted that the same methods that propelled him to the presidency will be used by the left and could very well be used against him in the right and used just as effectively. Yep. Like, if that's what won, people will run towards that same strategy. 
And I, hell, it's what they're doing. Like, when they go low, we go high. That went out the window pretty quick. Is it, uh, that's not Tulsi. It's, uh, that was Michelle Obama who said that. No, 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 no. It's, uh, she's running on the left. Klobuchar? No. Warren? No, no, no. She's young. Kirsten Gillibrand? No. Wait, are you talking about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? She's not running, but she might as well be. Uh, maybe it's Tulsi. I don't, I don't know. There's there's going to be somebody on the left that's basically the female version of Trump. Probably. That's going to pop up. Let's hope to God it's not Hillary Clinton. Nah, she's not that funny. <laughs> the nose doesn't play, Jim. It doesn't. We could hit this break. We'll be right back, folks. Joey Clark. Joey Clark. I recorded this at the Garden District in 2007, right after we moved in. Yeah. Yeah. My later stuff becomes a little more dark and purple, but this is very bluesy. This is early Joey. Early Joey, yeah. Welcome back, folks, to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Sponsor of this show tonight is Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. Great guy. He's a master of real estate. Eddie Bader can be your full-service real estate agent. If you're a first-time home buyer, he'll help walk you through the process, some of the things you need to look for. Hey, you might even be renting, thinking, I don't make enough money. I'm going to be stuck renting. No. Give Eddie Bader a call at 322-0662 and just ask him, what are the options out there? He might surprise you with what's available in terms of prices and things that fit your lifestyle, properties that fit your lifestyle. But also, if you're looking to sell, Eddie Bader can make sure your home is listed on all the major listing sites, including thegoodsongroup.com. But he'll also, I don't know, he's not going to sit there by the phone and just wait for somebody to call after seeing that sign in your yard. He's going to go out there because he's so connected with buyers, with people that are in the market because he changed his own life investing in real estate properties, that he will hook you up quickly. He'll give you suggestions. He might want to do this renovation repair before we even try to find a buyer. Here's how you do a successful open house. Eddie Bader's been around the block a few times when it comes to real estate. He knows what he's doing. Again, it changed his own life. Let Eddie Bader change yours. So if you're looking for a realtor to buy or sell, give him a call. Eddie Bader, 322 322- 0662 again that number 322 0662 but uh no, I don't know Whoa, Did, that man doesn't have any arms I was going to I I wanted okay yeah well, I'm we're looking at the TV screen here in the studio folks and uh Martha McCallum's interviewing a man that doesn't have any arms I don't know what his story is it's just a fact he doesn't have arms though Microsoft has an awesome controller for him now Yeah that's advancing leaps and bounds like That is the coolest thing yeah, these prosthetics that are, I mean, smart in a way. No, no, Microsoft created an Xbox controller. Oh, for people without hands or... With well, limited mobility in both hands, with maybe just one hand, or with no hands. It, it almost looks like a drum machine, right? It's got pads. It's got two main pads, the A and B button, and then on the back, there are three millimeter jacks okay. for every single button on the controller. And my dad and I were watching this video of this guy with, uh, pretty, I think it was cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in his chair, and he had to his left and right on his head 
um, on the neck brace for the chair, he had little pads that he plugged in to the jacks. And so tapping to the left would be like clicking on the left stick to the left. Okay. It was it was the most amazing thing I have seen. It was so cool. Yeah, and that's the stuff that does inspire. It's like somebody figured that out, knew somebody really needed it. It's not like it's a huge market, but it's no. quality of life. You there's, know? there's some things that I feel like Star Trek did really well. Yeah. One of them was like Patrick Stewart's answer as to why he was bald. I don't remember that one. It was basically his character. Someone asked, why, if you're in the future, in this, say, post-resource-heavy society, um, why are you still bald? Haven't they figured that out? He said, in the future, in that society, it doesn't matter. Hmm. And so, Hmm. for me, and I'm, I'm, I don't know, after I saw the commercial, I started thinking about this. The... I would say one of the best ways to tell how well a society is doing, in spite of all the bad things, is how we improve the quality of life of somebody who otherwise would not have a very good quality Amen. of life. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, um, I, I really, you don't have to do what I did, but I really encourage folks to... Uh, on that topic in particular, check out the Jordan Peterson-Sam Harris debates. Because their bigger project is how do we create a morality going forward in this world that's changing constantly and quickly. And as Peterson put it, the, the constant problem is this. If you stick to old traditions too much where it's dogmatic, you're not going to adapt. Nope. And a society will usually die. But the problem with trying to change from that old tradition that's becoming a little stale is most of the new ideas are utter garbage. Yeah. But there are a few within that pile of garbage that are utterly vital to your prosperity and to your future and progress. Mm-hmm. So how do you kind of figure out where what the leap to next? And they're saying, okay, we want to ground morality and truth, but we don't want to lead to dogmatism where it leaves no room for change. And we don't want to go to moral relativism and nihilism where nothing means anything and any interpretation of the facts will do. And that's how they're trying to sort of square it. And I really am coming to this school, I guess it's moral realism, where essentially they're, they're like, forget all the fancy arguments. What does your intuition say? And for instance, like you see a, a child being beat up on the side of the street. Like most people's intuition goes, no, that's wrong. Like, don't do that. Now, there might be outside circumstances, and this is what Peterson brings up. And it really stuck with me today because, unfortunately, the abortion debate is alive and kicking in the country right now. And very stark, uh, very passionate, uh, emotional issue for all sorts of very important reasons. But there's a point where Sam Harris kind of made a cheap score point against Peterson, saying, you don't have to read the whole context of the Bible to know that child sacrifice is wrong. And Peterson's like, well, wait, number one, Sam, think about most of human history. Most people doing the living and dying for tens of thousands of years didn't have enough resources to sustain barely themselves or their tribe. And most of the time, and this is well documented in history, they would have to let children die. They would have to sacrifice the elderly. They... And it would lead to some sort of sacrificial religious idea. 
But yeah, it, and there's a. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. There's a big disconnect in between the idea that there's not enough resources available, so someone's going to have to die. To we should sacrifice this person. Right. But but out of that behavior, the way I see it is like if you develop the belief, if there's not enough resource, if 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 we got to leave this person here and they're going to die. In my selfish mind, I'm like, well, let's make the most of it. Mm-hmm. You know, let's make a ritual out of it. It's going to hurt less for us. It's going to hurt less for them. And then you mentioned uh, gives bigger, larger, greater meaning to it. Yeah, but uh, it just rubs me the wrong way. Well, I, and thankfully, I'm not in a society where that necessarily right. occurs as often. Well, obviously, it rubs anybody who kind of in living in modern luxury where we have abundance in many ways. It, it's wrong. It's just downright wrong, but Peterson makes a fantastic point. It's like, look at the development through the Old Testament into the New Testament. You start in a place where God is asking for the most extreme sacrifice from Abraham. Sacrifice your son Isaac. And then God changes his mind, says, don't do it. I, you see that you were willing to sacrifice for me. The way Peterson put it is, sacrifice for the future. For the future and prosperity, you must give up something of great value for even more value in the future. But that the whole point of that story is, you don't have to do this. There's no need for child sacrifice anymore. And then it goes to, okay, what's something that's like a sacrifice, but not quite? Oh, circumcision. That is a way to show that you're down with the call. You're sacrificing literally a part of you uh, to join this greater cause. But it leads all the way up from those times where child sacrifice, all sorts of sacrifice, was all over the earth. Cultures that never touched each other are sacrificing people left and right. People have made arguments that we're just insane as human beings because sacrifice is so prominent. The Aztecs, 25,000 people a year. So how is that the norm, and how the hell did we get out of that? And it, you go through the Old Testament into the New, into the Gospels, and what is Jesus doing? He's essentially saying, okay, you don't even have to sacrifice animals. I am the final sacrifice. Like, stop sacrificing one another. I'm, I'm literally the Son of God. Take me out, and you don't need to do any more sacrifices like you've been doing anymore. And there's a reason that message, hearing people who didn't, hadn't heard that message ever before went, oh, really? It's a reason it spreads so quickly. There's also... Oh, thank God. Like, <laughs> we don't got to do this anymore. Right, exactly. Oh, no, I got to say, it's been such a burden. Right. Sacrificing right. all of these people. Well, to keep the sun god appeased. It's you been know. eating me up inside. Right. But here's the thing. That mentality does keep sneaking back. And this is what I'm worried about. Yeah. Say you are a believing Christian and for some reason you stop believing. And you just stop going to church. You even stop thinking about that stuff. Okay. What replaces it? Because it can't just be nothing. And some people will try to go into science, some people into literature and philosophy or stuff. But unfortunately, what happens when people lose their faith in a certain one of the great religions, they sometimes go to other things that are very archaic, I'll put it. Like, you start tricking yourself into ways of thinking that are very ancient and not exactly healthy. Scapegoating, is my point, is very prominent in our society. The more we lose that sense of what you just said, helping people 
for quality of life, who have a, one of the worst hands dealt. Like, you have a birth defect, you don't have arms, something like that. Yeah. Like, and if you don't have that drive to go help them, and or if you have that drive, but you're always thinking the reason that person is in that state is because somebody else is, I don't know, a billionaire. That's a bad example, but there's somebody to blame. There's somebody out there, some group, some person that is to blame for all the bad in the world, so I need to go sacrifice them. And I'm not talking about stopping, like, an army on your doorstep or whatever. I mean, literally, you're looking at all the wrong in the world instead of saying, that's kind of been the condition of humanity from the beginning, and we've gotten better and better and better at not doing those things to each other, you look at the world and go, hmm, there's somebody to blame for this, and it's time to sacrifice them. That mentality's still around. Yeah. I see it a lot in politics. Of who's to blame? Then we'll take them out. And I don't know. As much as we've advanced, I worry that if we try to shed traditions like so many people are doing, you might lose something really important. You might be throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, but, I mean... If you hold on to certain traditions, then... That's the dilemma. It's holding you back as well. That's the dilemma. I, I've, all, I've talked about anchor points for years. Mm. And it, the man's search for meaning without an anchor point is a long and treacherous path. Oh, yeah. With many turns. That's why you see the rise of the alt-right. Mm. That's why you see the rise of... and. The 30s, you see the rise of Nazism, things like that. People look for meaning. Somebody, a hierophant somewhere, is going to say, I got some snake oil for you. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be religious. I just mentioned two political well, things. I think it could, yeah, it could be on the, the way, actually, it, it too much order, like too much dogmatism is usually associated with the right. Too much, like, chaos and... Too much, let's just tear it all down, is usually associated with the left. Mm -hmm. And you see, I mean, sometimes it's played out on our very streets. And you, and like, when things like Charlottesville happen, I, I just look at it and go, what are you doing? Yeah. We have most things, even if you're in a really bad place, how is that going to make your life better? Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's I'm, like they I'm get angry the, and somebody's got to be punished slash sacrificed. Right. And that, that way of thinking needs to be held at bay, and there's got to be ways to reach people. But I don't think it'll be, and this is my why I give the point to Jordan Peterson over Sam Harris. You're not going to reach people by standing up and lecturing them, and here's the most rational thing to do. Even if you're lecturing them in a humble way, I've done all this study and searching, and here's what I've discovered. Mm -hmm. That doesn't reach people. Just yeah. telling them in a lecture. What reaches people are incredible stories where you don't have to tell them. But it is through the character, whether it's a written story or a movie, or it's a real-life story, through that person embodying those principles, those virtues, those values, people can see, oh, I can mimic that person. Mm -hmm. It's why I go back to those, one of those WWJD bracelets. They're not as glib to me anymore. Some people, I think, take them for granted. But the call to imitate an actual man in his life... Is much more powerful than love other people. No, actually read his story, and it'll give you even more of a detailed way of how you love people in incredibly tough circumstances. One of the one of the things that we still haven't gotten over that's really involved in the Old and New Testament is the amount of tribalism and how it's divisive. Mm 